So it's supposed to be easier. But mm-hmm. guess what? You put it in online and, oh, it's going to go for medical review. The patient had a stroke. What medical review is there? We need to find out if there's a bleed or anything. Right. What medical review is there? Medicare for all week. I'm really excited because um, I'm a little biased, but today I am sitting down with one of my very favorite guests from this entire series. I am here with the one and only Vivian Negron, who's been a medical receptionist for 37 years, is a close friend, and has unfortunately experienced the entire development of our current system of horrific billing. (laughs) Um, Vivian, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to say hi to everybody, all the listeners? Hi, everybody. Thank you, (laughs) B, for having me. No, we're so glad that um, we get a chance to sit down and talk to you because you have so much experience with this stuff. And every time that we see each other, you know, we talk about life and and other stuff like that. But we also, uh, we tend to get into the latest uh, fuckery, as we were saying off mic, um, that insurance companies are putting you through just to like keep the office running. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about like, about you? You know what I mean? And uh, how you got started? Well, I started um, working as a summer intern in Mm -hmm. a podiatry office and this was all before hypnosia so they taught me how to do x-rays physical therapy and also billing years mm-hmm. later just watching how the insurance companies have developed their protocol basically making it harder for physicians to get paid for testing that is absolutely necessary um, before you used to pick up the phone and get a human being. Now mm-hmm. you have to push buttons and you never get the right button. And then when you finally get the right person, oh, you're in the wrong location. Here, let me transfer you. <laughs> Click, phone disconnected. And that's where I start dropping my F-bombs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if uh, anyone has any familiarity uh, on my end of the, the situation um, on the patient side, it's pretty clear how much more time the administrative staff has spent over the years on these things. When I first got sick about 10 years ago, um, approvals took maybe like one appeal most recently, in this past Jan- or last January, it took me five appeals. So the entire thing is just sort of like amplified, and they've gotten very creative and very good at figuring out ways to create systems that just like will cut people out at every moment, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, but they're interested in getting their premiums. Please be sure you pay their premiums. Of course. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, don't forget that. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, when you got started, like, let's say maybe pre-ACA, mm-hmm. maybe that's a better time to start, right? Mm-hmm. So pre-ACA, what was it like to sort of manage the day-to-day admin operations of a private practice like one or one where you worked a small practice maybe um most of the small practices that i worked at didn't really take insurance but when they started taking insurance that's when all the problems came in Mm. where one of the main offenders initially for me 
was in the 80s when Oxford Healthcare mm-hmm. came out and they decided that a pregnant woman who just had a cesarean section needed to get out of the hospital in 24 hours. Oh my God. And so my physician got on the phone with Oxford and asked for supervisor after supervisor after supervisor, finally got the head person and did a very graphic description of a cesarean section and said, now tell me you want me to let your wife go home tomorrow. And the policy was changed. And instead of one day, they upped it to three days. But it used to be five days. Right. So basically, in the 80s, you saw this sort of like, not a retraction, but that they got smart, Mm -hmm. right? They started seeing testing what they could get away with, kind Mm -hmm. of. Absolutely. So what are some of the other things other than denials, maybe like the more subtle stuff that you started noticing, like as uh, as we go through like the 80s and 90s? Well, automation came in Mm. and supposedly automation was going to make your life easier. Push a button and you'll get the right person. Unfortunately, that doesn't work that way because the way the automation is set up, they don't really give you the option to speak to a human being until you've gone through six times keying in the same information. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're calling for Edna. What's the patient's insurance plan, Edna? Okay, what state? <laughs> What's the patient's name and date of birth? You give them all of this information and then you still have to push another button and repeat the same information because, oh, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong site. <laughs> Let me transfer you to the correct location. Right. And as you get transferred, you get hung up on. So trying to speak to a human being can take anywhere from 15 to 20 frustrating minutes of pushing buttons and repeating the same thing. Wow. No, I mean, I'm I'm very, very familiar. I mean, when in the 80s, like when you're saying when the doctor was able to call and intervene for this patient of theirs, sorry, this might be a stupid question, but could you just like call and get a person right away or back then yes wow you can speak to a supervisor and then you know he just kept saying give me the next supervisor give me your supervisor give me i want the person in charge mm-hmm. i mean the insurance companies are just it's it's not geared nowadays it's geared more towards making money mm-hmm. yeah. um there's a pattern that goes on starting at about september where insurance companies are either pending claims or just denying claims or just holding claims. Hmm. And I found out that it's because they're holding on to the money so that they can get the interest. After the first of the year, we start getting our checks. What? But they've already gotten interest on the monies that's been sitting in their coffers. Like on escrow? Yes. Oh my God. Let's uh, let's talk about that a so little more. This, yeah. Well, this is one of the reasons why now it's automated because they don't want you to speak to a human being who's going to tell you the truth. Right. Back in the day, they had a person with a book mm-hmm. and it was a script, you know, right. and you can hear them turning the pages to give you the answers to whatever questions you're asking. Right. My favorite one was, um, yes, I'm calling about a denied claim. Well, the computer denied the claim. My answer to them was, wow, that's a really smart computer. Can you let me talk to the computer then? Because this is ridiculous. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, why September? Do you know? I have no idea. So is this a, when did that sort of start? When did you start noticing something like that? I started noticing it about maybe 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. 
So they would sort of like be on time through the summer. Mm-hmm. And then they'd sort of slow to a glacial pace. Exactly. Which makes sense that they would do it September because people tend to be so preoccupied. Mm-hmm. And if you're working your way through dealing with a bunch of medical bills from earlier in the year because you have like a complex medical condition or a chronic condition or you just had a baby, you might be disincentivized to like deal with it. Right. Exactly. And um, and in my opinion, that's what they count on. The frustration of the person who's dealing with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Before you used to have a year to file a claim. Mm -hmm. Then they cut it down to six months. Mm -hmm. Then they cut it down to three months. And now it's like if your claim is not in within 60 days, it's automatically denied. (laughs) Knowing that a lot of offices are understaffed and don't have the staff to keep following every single claim for every single patient. Right. Totally. I mean, it's uh, it's obvious, I think, from your and I, your and my perspective that the system is like so intentionally, intelligently designed to Uh, pay as few claims as possible absolutely but um what are some of the other things that sort of started happening like more gradually like things like delaying till september or the fact that i feel like so many insurance companies have sort of like gone this weird decentralization route where each department has its own set of forms and own phone numbers sort Mm -hmm. of like they're relying on the dual tactics of like delay and confusion working together to work against the patient and the provider and the admin staff? Well, that's where the confusion started in, where back in the day, you had individual insurance plans. Mm -hmm. And then it's um, United Oxford, Mm -hmm. you know, GHI Emblem Health, HIP Emblem. And it's like, okay, patient calls the office, I have HIP. Which HIP is the question I now have to ask? Mm And I have Blue Cross Blue Shield. Which Blue Cross Blue Shield? Give me the first three letters of the ID so I can identify (laughs) if it's a Medicaid product or an indemnity product. Right. Because before you can identify an insurance by the card. Now Mm -hmm. it's impossible. Do you want to explain what the different, like what the two different types of plans are maybe for people who might not know what an indemnity plan is? The indemnity plans are basically a lot of the big corporations, the Fortune 500s, they've got these great Mm -hmm. plans. You know, and the patient has minimal out of pocket. Um, and then they now have these new Medicaid or community plans. Right. So it's for, you know, the people who can't afford an indemnity plan, you get on, it's kind of like a public assistance plan. Right. But it's managed by a private company. It's for managed. The most part. Yeah. Yes. And but so it's, the cards look identical now. The cards look identical. The only thing that differentiates them is the first three prefix. Mm-hmm. And then now they're making the prefixes even more difficult mm-hmm. because it used to be, yeah, you know what, for Blue Cross initially it was YLD, YLA, and YLN. Mm-hmm. Now it's BQX, YUB, BYC. You don't know right. if it's an indemnity or another plan. That seems to me like a really good tactic or it would be a good tactic for making it much easier for patients to be hit with surprise medical bills. Mm-hmm, exactly. Which is why I try to ask them up front, what is your insurance? So they won't be surprised. I don't want them coming into the office and then I go, I'm sorry, but we don't take your insurance. Right, exactly. You know, and I ask the patients, what's the first three letters of your ID? And they're like, why? Well, because we don't take every single Blue Cross Blue Shield. Right. And then that's the other thing. They list us on all of the insurance websites. And so the patient will now argue, well, you're on the Blue Cross website. (laughs) 
Well, yes, we are, but not for these not policies. For this specific, this specific one, exactly. like your individual plan, because like uh, you know, a lot of the exchange plans are different company per zip code or exactly. regional area of the state. Even. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, and so it's just it's just that much difficult for the patient to get any kind of care. Knowing, you know, you're afraid. What mm-hmm. if this doctor doesn't take my insurance? Mm-hmm. So you have to give them the information up front. You know, right. patients call, you know, I have GHI. Well, I'm sorry, but we don't take that. Well, you're listed on the website. Yeah. Well, surprisingly enough, GHI will pay us as a secondary, but they won't pay us as a primary. Well, Meaning if the patient has Medicare and GHI, when Medicare pays, then GHI pays. But they won't. But if the patient just has GHI, we don't get paid. That's wild. So they can have like conditional. Yeah, I guess because they're separate, totally separate plan types. Because exactly. Because one's a supplemental plan. And um, the other one is not. But we're wow. listed on the website. So that's the patient's frustration. That's and I, I feel for them because, you know, what are you going to do? Right. And then the, the patients are constantly getting unenrolled or their their coverage lapsed. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that their coverage never lapsed, you know. Right. How, how often do you um, feel like you get patients, particularly through stuff like, um, uh, what's that website where you can, uh, ZocDoc, ZocDoc? Who, who have put in their insurance wrong somehow Mm -hmm. and that ends up into like a whole mess that you then have to like follow up over the phone and disentangle in order to make sure that well we actually joined ZocDoc for a little while Mm -hmm. and it became too problematic interesting because with that particular you know group it was the patient would make an appointment but because it was made on ZocDoc hey I'm not going to show up Mm. So I'd book six ZocDoc patients and two of them would show. Hmm. And we can't bill them for a canceled visit because they never showed. They, right. they were, they're new to the office. Right. And well, the, 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 the website says you take every single insurance. And the website says that he's a neurologist. No, he's a neuro-ophthalmologist, brain and eyes. We don't deal right. with shoulders. <laughs> so my line to them is always, we do checkups from the neck up. <laughs> And I like that. That's the easiest way to explain to them, you know, how it's going to work. You know, right. if you have shoulder pain, back pain, leg pain, we can't help you. So now that you don't have ZocDoc to help with some of the booking, mm-hmm. um, because the idea behind ZocDoc was that sort of billing had gotten so complicated mm-hmm. and so bloated that private practices really needed help with booking, right? right? That was sort of the pitch yes. of it. Yeah, exactly. It was like easier for patients to... You know, you spend the 45 minutes putting in your insurance information, right? The actual way that, right. you know, which was very difficult to do. Yes. Um, and very confusing. So if you if you were like me and you're really sick and you're trying to actually look for patients or for doctors, like often like ZocDoc was kind of a better way to search for a doctor because yes. often it was like a more updated list of mm-hmm. insurances. Exactly. But then if... Ultimately, the uh, like ROI of participating in ZocDoc doesn't actually really one either like eliminate uh, a bunch of like clerical responsibility for the admin staff or generate like good patient leads. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of tool of automation that was supposed to be so helpful seems like useless. And so now you have complex billing with not even like a sustainable 
uh, automated service that can help you with the other parts of your job while both continue to just get more complex. Yeah. Right? And, and they would call them, oh, it's great. You're going to love it. Your patients are going to love it. It turned out to be more trouble than it was worth hmm. because well, number one, it wasn't integrated with our software, scheduling software. So they, I would literally have to go into ZocDoc every single day and block the spots that were already taken on my computer mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't get double books from ZocDoc. Interesting. And it was just too much. I told the doctor, I said, and and most of the time we've got people who just did not show and you're taking time away from people and you'll make an appointment and you'll cancel the same day. And it's not fair to the physician who's basically trying to run a practice or to patients like, uh, who Who need, who need the doctor. Right. Exactly. Uh, it's, it seems like they're there kind of is like an unsustainable amount of workload that's being put on admin staff in terms of like paperwork right now. Um, You also see it on providers, but as providers, time becomes more valuable because billing is so expensive to do now. It's just more and more on the admin staff without any extra money to hire new people either. And well, that's one of the things that I feel in my heart that the insurance companies count on, Mm -hmm. that doctors don't have the capable staff or enough staff to sit on the phone t- literally 24-7 and fight every single claim. Mm-hmm. You know, currently we're losing $500 a day because the insurance companies don't want to play pay for a, an eye exam that is crucial and vital mm-hmm. to the patient's treatment. Without mm-hmm. this eye exam, he can't tell if the patient has a tumor. He can't tell if the patient had a stroke. God, yeah. A- and what they say is not not eligible for this specialty. Right, because they're only reason, reading like neurologists and not the second There's board a, certification. Exactly. Yes, yeah. So it's, you know, I would have to write five letters of appeal and then also to the New York State Insurance Department. Right. Proving, you know, I have cases. I have a, a 31-year-old girl who's, Life was saved because he found a massive tumor in her brain. She had right. a glioblastoma. Wow. And without that picture, the girl would have never known. Right. And so they did not want to pay for her exam. And I had to literally send an operative report to show them that she had a valid reason for having this exam. He's not doing it because he wants to. He's doing it because he needs to. Yeah. If anything, the, uh, the, his MO is to not do too many Yeah, tests. he does not like doing testing. He doesn't testing. do unnecessary testing because all of these tests take time. And, you know, it's like shining light in the patient's eyes. And for those of us who can't see too well, Mm -hmm. who are there for brain and eyeball things, it's like, you know, these pictures can be like disruptive for the next couple of hours. So he's never one to be like, okay, you're here. You're here. Go take your picture. Like, this is not like a uh, fee for service upcharge point of sale Mm -hmm. thing that he's doing just to make money or or hit the bottom line. This is like a very crucial diagnostic procedure that they've found a technicality they can exploit. Seems more like what the situation is. Well, because they're not looking in the correct file. Mm -hmm. When you actually get on the phone and speak to a person and you tell them to look in a specific file, you'll see that his credentialing says he's board certified as a neuro ophthalmologist. Mm-hmm. You have his licenses. You have letters from the North American Neurological and Ophthalmological Society stand, stating the need and the necessity for this exam. <laughs> Jeez. So like uh, in the past, did this kind of stuff happen every once in a while as a mistake maybe? It did, but 
then it, it t- to me, I like looking for patterns. Mm-hmm. And I did medical reception for a long time. I also did billing for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it was constant, you know, if an MRI was done, pend it initially, we're missing something. Deny it, not medically necessary. Okay, now you need to send the report mm-hmm. that the patient has a brain tumor so they can pay the MRI. <laughs> but if you don't submit it within a timely fashion, and that's what they count on. Right. That there's, there's so... There, you're, we're being inundated with paperwork. Right. Now everything is on. You can't speak to a human to get it corrected. Back in the day, you picked up the phone, you called, hi, Mary, what's the first issue of your last name? This is what's going on. Give me a reference number. Okay, we'll get paid in three to seven days. Thank you. And in yeah. three to seven days, you got the check. And if you didn't get the check, you made a second call. Wow. What's it like now? You can't do that now. Now everything (laughs) is in writing. Right. You have to submit proof. You have to get the patient to sign a piece of paper that says, I give you permission to fight for my claim. Now, how many times are you going to send a a patient a piece of paper from a doctor's office? They don't open it right away. Mm -hmm. They forget about it. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's too late now. You've passed the timely filing limit. Right. And it's frustrating. It's absolutely frustrating. Yeah. I mean, and it's, uh, I mean, in terms of the sustainability of a private practice now, it seems to be really effective at, um, you know, sort of forcing doctors to close their offices, which gives them like flexibility. You know, this is the elusive small business owner that the AMA is trying to protect. Mm-hmm. You know, this is exactly. what the AMA said they wanted to protect by fighting against eliminating private insurance as they said oh it's physician freedom that we need to preserve you know but the physicians are not free if they have to worry about how they're going to pay next month's rent Mm -hmm. or their employees because they're waiting on the checks from the insurance company Mm -hmm. exactly we talked to we sat down with dr victoria dooley for this series as well who's based in uh, michigan Mm -hmm. um and she was saying you know i've got all these student loans and I would really love to hire like a nurse practitioner so that I could, you know, give my patients like a little bit more. She's a family medicine doctor. So it would go a long way towards the practice. Maybe, you know, maybe another nurse, maybe a physician's assistant. But, you know, between the cost of billing Mm -hmm. and the high amount of debt that doctors are coming out of residency, fellowship, and medical school, and undergrad Right, exactly. You know, it's just impossible because, like, she's got kids. She's got to make sure she's paying the employees she has, that they've got to pay the utilities, you know, put Mm -hmm. food on the table and pay the benefits of the staff, you know, and it just, like, it becomes this game where you've got all these, like, plates up in the air spinning and, like, not a single one of them can fall because if it falls, like, that's it and you need to join a faculty practice and all those people lost their jobs and all those patients are going to have to be relocated Mm -hmm. or, you know, often it's like even very hard to retain people when you move. And then the the sad part about joining the faculty practice from what I've seen is it's more quantity rather Mm -hmm. than quality work. Mm -hmm. You know, a physician is supposed to see 50 patients a day. Wow, that's a lot. How can you expect a physician to properly treat 50 patients between, you know, a certain time frame? I mean, if you're doing 50 flu shots, sure. Right. If you're doing 50 neurological exams, no No. fucking way. No, it's it's in an hour and a half. If it's a complex case, it can run an hour and a half to two hours. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how is it fair 
to after the doctor has spent two hours with the patient diagnosing a critical condition, mm-hmm. we submit to the insurance and they're like, oh, we're not going to pay for this because that's not his specialty. You're wrong, but now I have to fight it. Right. And I'm, I'm a single employee in that office. You know, I literally work nine to five with no lunch break. When am I supposed to sit down and call insurance companies? Right. Yeah. When am I supposed to call insurance companies? And even then it's just, and then now with the electronic billing, for whatever reason, all of a sudden, $11.99, we've been billing for five years to $11.99, same way, all of a sudden now, they can't identify the patient. You've paid this patient four years prior. Now, all of a sudden, I'm missing something? I haven't changed anything. Mm -hmm. How is it that I'm missing something? Hmm. And then when you call the insurance company, they say, we have no record of your claim. Oh, yeah, I have an explanation of benefits that's telling me right. that you don't know who this person is. So you must have gotten something. Right. But we have no record of this claim. I'm sorry, you're going to need to resubmit. And if you resubmit it electronically, it's going to get denied as a duplicate claim. So what are you even supposed to do at that point? I mean, how much of your day are you spending? How much more of your day compared to like 10 years ago? Are you spending when the beginning of the ACA 2009? Mm-hmm. Are you spending doing um, billing? Well, I'm a multitasker. Mm-hmm. So while I'm answering the phones and yes, taking care are. of patients, You're very good at it. I'm also writing letters to insurance companies and on hold too, and, yeah, and all on at hold. once. <laughs> and I'm, you know, sometimes I wish I had four arms. Right, and half the time your computer isn't even working. Exactly. But it's like, where's the money to upgrade the computer if like? All of the energy is going into just like getting the bare minimum of billing to keep the lights on and like make sure payroll goes through. Exactly. (sighs) Exactly. It's frustrating. It's like I can't get a raise because the insurance companies don't want to pay claims that are supposed to be payable. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that we talk about a lot is that, you know, beyond anything that's a uh, health justice, health equity, racial justice issue of Medicare for all. You know, if you want to talk about it in pure uh, evil capitalist business terms, right? Yeah. This is a labor issue. This is a quality of life issue for, you know, elite, talented people who are told that when you become a doctor, you achieve some sort of Uh, status in society, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's considered to be uh, a noble profession, a respected one. But the the job satisfaction is down. Completely down. And the private insurance industry is sucking the life out of practitioner labor. Mm -hmm. It's sucking the life out of admin and support staff and everyone in the industry from an orderly or a chef in a hospital to a nurse to the chief of neurology, you know? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's, 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 we used to do, Dr. Fullerbein used to do hospital consults. He doesn't anymore because they don't pay. Interesting. You know, it's, I'm sorry, I'm taking the time out of leaving my office, going over to the hospital to see you. Right. And... They don't pay. We just had a situation where a patient was came to our office and the insurance company denied the claim, stating that the patient was in the facility. How could we be billing? Uh, (sighs) Yes. And it's been three weeks now and I still can't get a straight answer from anybody about why they're not paying this particular claim. So they said that they didn't want to pay it because the patient was inpatient. Yes. Even though the patient was in our office, there was everything on the documentation. Everything documented that she was discharged and allowed to come to the office. She's in a rehab facility currently. 
and she was discharged <sighs> from the facility. The facility made the appointment. Right. Because that's what rehab facilities do, because they usually only have doctors there to make sure you don't just die. Exactly. So oh the patient, God. you know, they made the appointment for the patient and it was a very long visit. Mm -hmm. um, very strenuous for me. Um, the patient was in a wheelchair, so I had to help her up four steps because unfortunately the building's so old, they don't have a ramp. Right. But so the fact that it's like visually impaired patients are coming into a building with all those steps and like, oh my God, there's a rheumatologist up the four steps yes. at the end of the hall. It's like, oh God, Manhattan. Yes. But you know, I mean, the, the other boroughs aren't much better. Yeah. No, so. not at all. Not at all. I, I started working originally in the Bronx mm -hmm. and I started working in Manhattan and I got very lucky. I worked for an OBGYN on Madison Avenue. Ooh, fancy. And he did not take any insurance. That sounds like it. Madison boys tend to not do that. And but he, you know, when managed care popped up, he ended up having to. Yeah. So oh, ex let's explain what managed care is real quick. Yes. Okay. It was the late 80s where a patient no longer can go to any doctor right. they wanted. So it's sort of like if you hear about like an HMO, yes. right? Or uh, the ACA term for it is the, uh, what is it? The um, PCP yeah, assigned PCP. plans. It's called the gatekeeper plans. Ah, I love that name for it. I was just about to say, it's like a gatekeeping it's, mechanism it's, it's to slow down how you... Uh, use the insurance. Right. And the whole idea, and this is one of the things that we talk, we've been talking about a lot, is that like this is sort of part of the school of thinking of medical overuse. Mm -hmm. And with some of them, when they came out, if you join what's called a capitated plan, the insurance hmm. company would pay the doctor X amount of dollars a month per patient. Right. So the patient can come in 17 times, but the doctor's only going to get $250. Wow. I didn't even, I haven't even heard of that one. That was I've the original one. It was um, U.S. Healthcare. Interesting. So was it on like a monthly basis? Or I think quarterly? it was on a monthly basis. I'm not sure. Yeah. But the doctors, you know, each doctor had, you got paid a lump sum and it didn't matter how many times the patients came. So then the doctor started getting a little annoyed because now the patient's like, well, you well, know, my insurance is going to pay for it. So I don't care. Right. So for what someone they like don't me. Know, what right. the, the patient doesn't know is that the doctor's not getting paid. Right. Because the doctor just got one lump sum for you and that's it. And so now the patient is, you know, okay, I have this problem and the doctor tries to fix it as best he can. And then if not, he's going to refer you to someone else. You can't go to someone else on your own. The doctor has to refer you. Right. And if you don't have a referral, you're not going to be seen. Right. And then that, and again, if you're seen without a referral, the doctor doesn't get paid. Right. And sometimes plans don't tell you you need a referral. Exactly. Exactly. And then don't pick up the phone when you try and like follow up mm -hmm. and it just it creates another opportunity to let that window, let that clock tick out. Exactly. And stamp. Boom. That's another one. Throw it in the bucket. Three pointer. Yeah. Uh, we saved a, ourselves how much money because this didn't happen. 250 bucks towards a shareholder dividend. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Like got to create that value. And I, I, I'm just... My mind is just completely boggled over the way the system has been set up. Right. Where if a patient has a, a, a headache, migraines, constant, and I'm calling the insurance companies to do authorizations, right. and now they do it online. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to be easier. But mm -hmm. guess what? You put it in online and, oh, it's going to go for medical review. The patient had a stroke. 
What medical review is there? We need to find out if there's a bleed or anything. Right. What medical review is there? Right. And it's that's usually just like a nurse who's never seen the patient. Exactly. Or a nurse who's like looking at it for like uh, 32 minutes, I mm-hmm. think, is the maximum allotted time for some insurance mm-hmm. companies. You uh, we know? had to do and we had constant what's called peer reviews. Mm-hmm. So my doctor would literally have to get on the phone mm-hmm. and he would get so frustrated because they would put a nurse on the phone who didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. I've been in the room for some of those calls before. Yes. Right. Because my doctors have been like, you should hear this. Mm-hmm. You should hear what they're saying about you mm-hmm. because they talk about you like you are a sinkhole of money. Right. Your insurance company hates me for keeping you alive and trying to help you be able to see. And I just want you to know how hard we're working. And I want you to hear how they're talking about you because they don't see you as a human being. Of course not. You know, if you don't give them the right diagnosis code and the right number, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not going to approve. I had a a little old lady who may have had a stroke and I needed to get an MRI. And they were like, well, it went to appeal. On her way to the hospital for blood work, the patient fell and fractured her skull. I immediately called them back and said, okay, you dumb fucks. Um, are you going to approve it now? She's in the emergency room with a fractured skull. Did they? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I honestly don't know because yeah, I, be I had to move violation. on, had to, move on to yeah. the next problem. Right. And, and that's the thing is like, you know, uh, like at NYU in the faculty practice, mm-hmm. there used to be like five years ago when all of a sudden I only had one doctor not in faculty practice. There was one woman... Karen, mm-hmm. who did the billing for, or not the billing, but the appeals for mm-hmm. like pretty much any doctor that I was dealing with. Right. Within seven months, though, mm-hmm. there were six Karens. Right. Within two years, there was a Karen for every single different type of plan. You've got Aetna, you get Karen 1. You got, you know... Cigna. Uh, yes, yeah, Cigna, you get Karen 7. You get... Uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield downstate Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you get Karen nine. You got Blue Cross Blue Shield midstate, you got Karen fourteen. Like there, it's is, ridiculous, right? And the the sort of like information that's lost, mm-hmm. right? When you when you are a patient who, you know, very few people have the fucking fucking choice right? Mm -hmm. Big scare quotes here. Mm -hmm. Have the choice to be able to maintain and stay on one consistent health plan, right? Right. Um, So, you know, you have these people who are frequent jumpers between insurances because maybe they are sick like me. They Mm -hmm. are chronically ill. And, you know, people discriminate against chronically ill people. They find out that we're sick and they're like... Ooh, this is gonna cost burden us. and a drain on the on the group. Our premiums might rise. Ooh, we're so sorry. Uh, our company has less than fifty employees, so you technically can't sue us for uh, employment discrimination. Bye bye. And I really feel like, and I don't know how you feel about this because, as we've said, you've been doing this for thirty seven years. Is this sustainable where we are at right now? No, I don't think so. Where, I, I mean, I don't think so, because I mean, the quality of care has gone down. Yeah. Doctors are frustrated because they know that as much as I'm, you know, spending all my time, I'm getting paid squat. Right. You know, and every year the prices, the, you know, the reimbursement fees, they go down. Right. 
And how long does it take to like process a claim with Medicare versus like private insurance right now? Medicare is actually faster mm-hmm. because Medicare is kind of like the leader. It's kind of like Medicare sets the guidelines. Everybody else follows what Medicare does. Mm-hmm. So Medicare, usually they will pay electronic submissions. Medicare will pay within maybe two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. Before it used to be... 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Mm. Now it's two to three weeks. That's pretty good. It's it's good that they're paying you faster, but they're paying you less. Every right. year, the doctors get less money. Right. But with private insurance, like, is, you know... If you're working for a Fortune 500 company, right. you got great insurance. Right. They will pay. But how long do they take to pay? Uh, Either 30 days. Mm-hmm. It depends on, you know, if you if, can get if, the claim through, if, if I can get the claim through, you right. know, I, I, I missed a period where a period's not supposed to be, right. or we can't identify this patient. So it's like, you know, one of the things we were talking about with uh, Adam Gaffney, who's head of PNHP, is he said, you know, yeah, Medicare pays less than these, you know, Cadillac private Fortune 500 plans, mm-hmm. but you cannot count on the Fortune 500 plan paying you and you cannot get a person on the phone. Exactly. So between that and the increased overhead, you know, of actually fulfilling these claims, it's like if you sit down and look at it, the money that is wasted on admin spending can be sometimes up to 40% of the payment that's returned. And then if you look at what's left over, you're doing way worse than if you only saw Medicare or only even saw Medicaid patients in some places. Because when you have patients who are on sort of medium plans, Mm -hmm. let's say, um, and Dr. Dooley was talking about this, that, you know, like physicians who have patients with bad medication compliance are punished for that. But oftentimes, the reason why medication compliance is bad is because patients cannot afford the medications are being prescribed for medically necessary chronic conditions like COPD, where it's a simple inhaler, mm-hmm. or diabetes, uh, type 1 diabetes mm-hmm. in particular, where you need like not synthetic, not Walmart insulin, but yeah. legitimate insulin, the oldest biologic that we have in this country that was developed with public funds and given away for a dollar to be mass produced because it is necessary. You know, uh, my one of my drugs, Rituxin, it's on the WHO essential medicines list. It's also the second largest grossing drug in the world. And there aren't that many of us on it. Right. But it is like $300,000 per visit. What? That's how much at, at a, um, the MS Center. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, before I switched to Medicare in June, we could barely get anyone to agree to continue Rituxan. We'd had two doses and they were ready to give up. You know, like the CDC is like not, doesn't have any control. Mm-hmm. It would be like a huge hugely like waste of the six hundred thousand dollars we've mm-hmm. done the fda can't step in the cdc can't step in mm-hmm. the hospital can step in the alternative is what eating the entire cost right or and that's also dependent on the patient qualifying for charity care in the first place too. exactly you know like 
it's almost as if, like, regardless of whether these plans actually pay more, at the end of the day, it's like buying a car. Mm-hmm. The price on the sticker is not what, what you're is getting. being paid. Exactly. And that's fundamentally the problem with private practices is like, how could you budget? How could you say that, you know, you could hire another person because the insurance company can just like invent a new way? Yeah. And at least if we had one payer, what would your job be like if you had even if even if we had someone like Seema Verma current head of CMS who is doing her very best to means test privatize and gut provider payments? Right. Wow. Um, You know, she is trying to kick as many people off of Medicaid as possible, kick as many people onto Medicare Advantage plans as possible. And meanwhile, there are not that many physicians on those plans because Uh they pay so poorly. Uh So basically. And there are not many patients who are sick that stay on those plans because they don't pay anything. Well, one of their one of their scams, Mm -hmm. because that's what I call it. It is a scam. Okay, so they 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 target Eric Hogren, rest in peace. He was one of them. He would stand at a table in the Bronx, Uh catching people as they're walking by and screwing them out of Medicare and getting them onto Health First or Health Plus. For Medicare Advantage plans. For Medicare Advantage plans. Get off of Medicare. Oh, this plan will help you better. This plan will help you better. This one gives you a Fitbit. Yeah. You get a gym membership out of this So the patients, because unfortunately in the Bronx, they're elderly, uneducated, they see a a great deal. I'm going to take it. Now mm-hmm. they go back to their doctor and their doctor says, we don't take this insurance. Because they won't pay for anything. Because they won't pay for anything. They're cherry pickers. Exactly. So you're putting people on plans that nobody wants, nobody takes because they know that they don't pay. Right. I think that's, it's disgusting how yes. you're taking advantage of the old people knowing that they don't really understand insurance and what's going on. Well, because who could, unless you're spending four hours a week talking about it on your podcast. Listen, I'm, I'm grateful that I've been in the business. Business because my mother has been approached. Oh, we can get you on this plan. We can get you on that plan. I said, <sighs> mommy, stick to the plan you have. Okay. So she has now Medicare. And because my dad worked for Rockefeller University, he's got a great secondary insurance, which is so important. And I can't even get my uh, insurance. I have a, I have a um, Medigap policy. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it in May mm-hmm. in preparation for starting in June right. in Medicare. Uh-huh. And I still don't have a card. And it's January. Oh. And their phone was off the hook for two months. And I was trying to chase them down to pay them. And they still haven't let me. So, you know. Wow. They Every time I call them, they're like, it's in force. I'm like, I'd love a card. Hmm. I would. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, the check is in the mail. Mm-hmm. Except for I'm trying to pay y'all. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it, and you can tell that like that premium's not expensive. It's one twenty six a month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't give a shit about collecting that. No, they don't mm-hmm. want to collect that from me. No, because why? There's one person in that office. You know, that's there's the, one full time person and one part time person. That's ridiculous. They run an entire state of a supplementary Medicare plan. Wow. And they're used to they, you know, these are the people that will cover, you know, Medicare Part B does not cover all of your um, 
the full percentage mm-hmm. of your hospital right. payments. And um, yeah, they'll only cover 80%. Exactly. So that other 20%, if you're going in for a $300,000 inpatient infusion is pretty big. Uh, yeah. And if you uh, don't have a secondary, hello. Yeah. If, especially if you're an SSDI, hope for retired or at uh, anyone practically Mm -hmm. like who the fuck i don't even i can't even do that math off the top of my head but still it's untenable for everyone it is completely and And it's like my thing is is like i personally cannot afford insurance right because i don't get paid enough money i'm literally living paycheck to paycheck so as you live paycheck to paycheck here's my reasoning and my logic oh you can get a really good plan it's not going to be that much it's only 200 dollars a month okay so i'm going to give you 200 dollars a month for a plan that nobody takes (laughs) and then when i finally see a doctor i have to pay the first three thousand dollars out of pocket so i've paid you 200 dollars for two years never having to use the insurance and then when I finally do use it, oh, here's the bill because you have a three thousand dollar deductible. What's the point? Right. There is, and that's yeah. the one. That's one of the reasons why Cruelty. so many people don't have insurance. Right. Cruelty is the point because literally, if I pay two hundred dollars a month, then okay, let's say I don't pay my cable this month, or I don't pay my phone this month, or I don't eat this month, or I don't pay my electricity, or I don't pay my electricity. Because I need to pay this insurance. Or my child support. And God forbid, I end up in an emergency and I go see the doctor and it's, oh, I'm sorry, but we don't take that. You have to pay out of pocket. And so you pay out of pocket, they submit a claim for you, and then it's, oh, by the way, you still have to pay this much more. Right. Right. Because it's it's not about care anymore. No. I mean, and then my 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 biggest issue with the Obamacare yeah. is... I haven't gotten an income tax check in five years because I'm being penalized for not having insurance. Right. How does that make sense? Right. We know what they do in uh, Denmark. If you fall behind on your insurance payments, Mm -hmm. there was this Vox piece. They were like, oh, you can do you can do almost universal coverage or universal coverage with private companies. Look, Denmark's doing it. Right. And uh, you go and they start talking about Denmark and they're like, yeah, so. You know, if people fall behind on their plans, their wages are garnished. They take money directly. The government takes money directly out of your paycheck and pays it to the private insurance company as if the private insurance company is the internal revenue service of Denmark. I keep hearing a phrase in my head. I'm sorry. It's called calling the herd. (laughs) I literally keep it every time Uh I have to deal with something like this. It's called calling the herd. You know, the poor who can't afford let them die. Yeah. Literally, let yeah. them die. Is that, I mean, any of the doctors that you've worked with, is that something that they've gotten into medicine to be able to facilitate? Mm, what do you mean? Has anyone ever gotten in being like, I only care about treating rich patients because poor people don't deserve medical care? No, thankfully, no. Yeah, I mean, no. I, don't, I can't I've, even... I, the doctors that I've worked for, that I've worked for a year, mm-hmm. because my, my, my thought process is... This is my father's work ethic. You work for three months, you're on probation. Mm-hmm. The other, till mm-hmm. the year, the office is on probation. And if they do, don't do right by me. If I don't see that they're treating their patients correctly, yeah, I'm like gone. That. I like that. I'm I really gone. like that. And I've literally walked out of interviews because someone accused me of being frivolous for only working in an office for a year. Damn it, I gave you a year to right. prove that 
you 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 were worthy of me of, of, of clearly all like from the patient perspective you go above and beyond for people exactly out of your own time too. exactly and in my office i'm i'm literally i love my patients i care about my patients i don't like when my doctor's late i let him know Mm-hmm. I told him, if you want this, this is how it's got to work. Patients mm-hmm. remember good quality care, which is one of the reasons why a lot of the patients still come back to our office mm-hmm. because they get good quality care. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the insurance is going to pay. We're going to take care of you. Right. And that's something that is so hard to find. Exactly. And you don't have the flexibility of that in a, in a faculty practice. I mean, I always think about all the times that like, you know, uh, before when my doctors were all um, basically in apartment buildings, mm-hmm. which is like the New York way of doing it. Right. Like everywhere else, it's a strip mall in New York city. It's on the first floor or in the basement level of every of apartment, apartment building. building. Exactly. You know, the super, the doorman, the porter, anyone on staff at the, at the apartment building, anyone in the apartment building who was on, you know, Medicare or Medicaid or had no money, didn't have insurance or had young kids. Like it was always like, Oh yeah, yeah. This is like someone in 2C, like their kid, you know, uh, has strep throat. So, you know, I'm just like, they don't have insurance. So like I borrowed a kit from across the hall and we're running it, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And, and it's like that kind of like on the ground intervention, you know, you have doctors who are agreeing to see pharma reps only for their samples. Right. We don't see any. Right. Exactly. But fortunately, you know, for the kind of stuff that like, uh, Dr. Mo treats, like, you you know, it's like pharma reps can't hand out samples of mm-hmm, that shit, mm-hmm, you know, so exactly. you don't have to put up with it. Exactly. The only reason to put up with it at this point is to collect the expensive samples that you know there's no generic for that you can't like sort of finagle. Right. For the most critical chronic conditions that are not receiving it. Exactly. You know, and... And it's like my my internist always says, you know, it's like if anyone is like, oh, you know, the problem is like pharma taking doctors out to dinner. Um, they're wrong that that's like a um, a situation where pharma is taking advantage of right. the doctor. In 90 percent of the cases, they're wrong mm-hmm. in the opioid situation. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. But in the like rheumatological space mm-hmm. for primary care physicians, mm-hmm. they go to those dinners as work mm-hmm. to make sure that they can get medications for their patients, which they are then distributing on their own time. Their I, staff are doing wellness checks on their own time. I worked for an internist who mm-hmm. we had, you know, regular, uh, re- we call them rep lunches on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And the rep would come in with a great spread of food and tons of, you know, Kidney medicine, you know, Crestor, anything. And we would get so High much. High blood pressure medicine. High kidney, blood pressure, right. everything. And my doctor literally always gave out, you know, he gave the patient a prescription, but here is a month to get you started to see how well you do. Because if your body doesn't react, it doesn't make sense for you to keep buying it. Mm-hmm. So try this first. And if mm-hmm. it doesn't work, we'll try something else. But right. at least the patient had the option of getting the samples. We had patients right. would walk into the office. Hey, you got any any so-and-so left over? Any so-and-so? And depending on the severity of the case, we gave them out. Before I had Medicare, I had to do that for my um, Resuvo. They mm-hmm. were way too expensive. They were so expensive. And uh, I had just learned to start doing an injectable medication. And because I have like this little tiny thing called like, I can't fucking see. <laughs> what was it yesterday? I saw you yesterday. What yes. was my acuity? 2250. 2250. 20-250 or 20-250 in the right eye. And I think 2100 in the left eye for mm-hmm. distance. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, close was a little better, but right. not amazing. Right. So, you know, a first time injection medic at home injection medication user. With a partially blind person. Yeah. Who's never done it before is like, you know. It's daunting. It's, it's daunting. Scary. And, you know, the only problem is the difference in price between uh, the auto injector once a week and the do it yourself vial once a week is $750. Wow. For a spring. A spring. A spring and a shit ton of plastic. So, you know, it's like we have all these other problems with the health insurance or with, sorry, with the medical field. Right. We have all these other barriers to care. So in my mind, it's like, why are we even allowing the biggest gatekeepers to get in the way when we have a bunch of other shit to fix? Yes. You know, like we needed Medicare for all in 2009. Mm hmm. We were like 10 years, 11 years behind right. at this point. And then there, I don't know what their thought process is, is that it's going to cost more money. How is it going to cost more money? It's if, not, it's if a patient doesn't, it. If a patient doesn't have insurance and they get sick and it gets critical, there's where it's more money. Right, exactly. There's where it's more money because now you have to spend more money to take care of the patient. Right. So at the end of the day, it's like, we can't afford not to do Medicare for all as quickly as possible too. Mm -hmm. like this Kamala Harris 10 year glide pan plan. Ha like we don't need another 10 years to figure out the problems. We know what the problem is. We've known Fix since it. the 40s what the problem is. This is the fourth time in like almost 100 years that we've tried to do this. Every other country in the world, every other developed nation, quote unquote, in the world does this, you know. We've got a bunch of shit we have to fix in Puerto Rico. Uh -huh. We need to stop wasting time like there are no hospitals. There's, there's towns that have no hospitals. Right. There are people that are still sleeping outside after Hurricane Maria. Right. Which okay. was what? Uh, Two years ago. Yeah, I was going to say it's like 26 months ago now. Yes. Yeah. And and nobody's talking about what's happening now with the, the earthquakes. Right. There have been over 1,500 earthquakes since December 28th. My cousin has, I have a young cousin who lives in Puerto Rico. She has a pacemaker. She's had a pacemaker since she was nine years old. And when she first had to have the battery changed, the insurance company wanted to know medical necessity for a bat, for a battery uh, on, a pacemaker. on a pacemaker installed in a juvenile patient. Yes. So she's had her battery changed now three times. Uh. And in one instance, unfortunately, during the pregnancy, literally the battery drained during the pregnancy. Right. Which is actually apparently quite common. Yes. So she had to be helicoptered for two <laughs> helicoptered 45 minutes from the town to this to San Juan. Oh. And the insurance company did not want to pay it. So you're going to you're going to literally like woman. two two, two lives two lives because you don't want to pay a 45 minute helicopter ride the doctor who has been her doctor forever he absorbed the cost four thousand dollars oh my god he absorbed the cost because the insurance company would not approve right away a pacemaker battery or a helicopter ride for a woman who was about to give birth oh my god i you know i i hear these stories like almost every day and I still hear new, crueler, yes, innovative ways 
to do this and deny care and just for it's like I'm like left wondering at the end of the day for what there was a movie that preserving this industry Matt Damon did a movie years ago Mm -hmm. which basically highlighted this entire situation where and it's a true story young Mm -hmm. man needed a kidney transplant Mm -hmm. and the insurance company kept denying the claim denying the claim denying the claim Mm -hmm. he ended up dying Mm-hmm. But when Matt Damon took them to in the, in the movie, when he took them to court, well, they have two special books. And initially it's deny anything over five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And then there's a special file in the books. There are two sets of books at the insurance companies yeah. for pat answers. Yeah. OK. And the movie literally stuck with me. Because literally this is what it is. And then the woman ends up getting a letter from the insurance company. Are you stupid? We're not going to pay this. Right. And I mean, it was an actual case. Right. And it's, it's, it's literally showcasing how insurance companies play people. Right. I I know we say this often here at Death Panel, but if you do not support free at the point of service, comprehensive, universal Medicare for all, which pays providers a living wage and supports staff and has a job program, you just want more disabled and poor people to die. And that is the end of the day. That's the simplest way I think you could even say, because like your experience for 37 years doing this, like it's, it's getting more and more frustrating. Yeah. It's, it's completely aggravating. And I can't even imagine how someone new coming into the industry, you know, into your industry, into mm -hmm. your profession, could, you know, you almost need the 30 years of experience just to deal with the past seven of pure hell. Yeah. Well, when I started working there, one of the patients was leaving and I said, would you like to make your six months appointment? And he said, am I going to see you here in six months? And I said, yeah, why? And he says, well, because every six months I come, there's a new girl. Mm -hmm. It was like that a lot. There was a lot of turnover. Because it's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard. And because I care so much about the patients, I stick with it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with the bureaucracy. I want to deal with my patient. I want to deal with the doctor and I'm going to fight the insurance companies. Right. And you should be given every tool to be able to do your job as best you can, because like Lord knows we are working uh, an uphill battle against health. Yes. You know, like health is a, is a fantasy, the idea of health, right? right. It's a constant negotiation. And uh, as it stands right now, there are very few tools that you even have, you know, it's um like how much of your week are you spending on this stuff? Like it's it's every day. Every day, every all day, day every day, all day. Activity. When you come to my office and you see my desk filled with papers, it's because while I'm answering the phone and scheduling patients and doing the billing also, mm-hmm. because I also post the charges, I have to, you know, pull aside and do one or two claims and one or two appeals and make copies and put it away and make sure I keep track of everything. And that's the thing that the insurance companies count on is that because so many doctors are working with these huge groups, they have billing companies that take care right. of this. So they have to get smarter in order to thwart all of those Karens at NYU. Exactly. And all the Vivians get fucked over. Exactly. And all the private practices, who cares? You guys are considered to be just as invaluable waste, fraud, and abuse as I am mm-hmm. at this point. You Basically. know what I mean? Basically. It's... Uh, It's one of the cruelest and most counterintuitive things, I think, that we've done in this country. It absolutely is. You know, and um, 
I really appreciate you coming on. You have so much experience with this stuff and you're an incredibly intelligent and compassionate person who has figured out some really good tricks Mm -hmm. over the years for for manipulating these people and figuring out the patterns, et cetera. But, you know, it's it's unconscionable to me that they're, you know, that you, there's nothing backing you up on this. Yeah, it's well, so well, thank unfair. you for thank you for letting me vent because it's I've oh, been holding anytime. on to this for a very long time. I wanted somebody to know that these insurance companies are playing games with people's lives. Right. But they're collecting the money. They make sure they collect their money. And if mm-hmm. God forbid you needed that extra two hundred dollars for insulin and didn't pay your premium, boop, you're off. Bye bye. Bye bye. Sorry. Too bad. So sad. So sad. Yeah. I mean, they're like, but wait a minute. I I, I needed my insulin. Sorry, you didn't pay your premium. Mm-hmm. What's more important, my premium or my insulin? Yeah. Especially if we're working and living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it comes down to we need a fundamental reevaluation of the val- like the value of a human life. Yes. Um, and, you know, we're the richest country in the history of the world at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, know. yeah. OK. <laughs> well, there are parts of this country. Yes. That are the richest in the history of exactly. the world. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's no way we can get towards any other type of like wealth redistribution or expansion of the social safety net or socializing more spending like towards transportation, you Uh know, it would be great if the city could step in and make sure that every apartment building that has a doctor's office had a goddamn ramp to get in. Yes. Because a lot of times people with mobility issues got to go to the doctor. Uh Mm -hmm. And now, unfortunately, I have to ask the patients, are you in a wheelchair? Uh I don't like to ask that of my patients. Mm hmm. It's not a question that is the first thing out of my mouth, but now it's, you know, hi, who referred you? What's your insurance? Mm -hmm. Because we can't do anything without knowing what your insurance is. Right. And it's sad. Right. It's really, really sad. I, I, I tell some of my patients, I would like to go back to the days where if you didn't have any money, bring me a chicken and some eggs and we're okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The barter system. Right. Or even better. You need plumbing done? Right. Right. Uh, In the 1890s, you had this thing where like, so uh, physicians were banding together and creating uh, community practices because they realized that through like interdisciplinary knowledge sharing that they were able to treat their patients better and learn more about the practice of diagnostics because this is sort of the beginning of the professionalization of Western medicine. Exactly. So then the AMA steps in and they say, family practices you know, these community practices where you know your community. Basically, all these doctors would share like a Victorian mansion together. Mm-hmm. First floor would be the rheumatologist. Second floor was the dentist. Third floor was the uh, neurologist. The neurologist. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, they all worked together and they would pool resources from their patients and they knew their communities because these are literally just Like your neighbor is the doctor, right? So they Uh know who can pay, they make it work, right? Uh So the AMA steps in and they say, listen, that interferes with physician freedom, right? (laughs) We need uh, to accreditate who can be a doctor and we need to regulate where and how you can practice and how you must charge for your expertise. And they went ahead and they accredited every school across the United States that trained white doctors and they refused to accredit any schools that treated minority people of color. They said, you know, 
there are enough black doctors to treat the black population. And this is 1890. So we don't need more. Well, that's that's like what it is now. With right. insu- if a physician wants to open a practice in our neighborhood, mm-hmm. he would have a tough time because the insurance companies decide how many of that specialty is allowed within that zip code. What? Yeah. There are too many. There are too many OBGYNs within a four block radius. So the doctor can't become a participating provider. Uh, Really? That was many, many. And and this I heard from a a woman who worked in Medicare and explained uh, to me. So they used to be allowed to do zoning, too? Yes. Oh, my God. And then the doctors get paid based on their zip code. Oh, my God. Literally, that's how it works. So yeah, you are incentivized to treat richer patients. Yes. Mr. Well, now Avenue. now there's now there's concierge service. Right. Where, you know, pay the doctor $20,000 and he is at your beck and call. Right. Which I'm sure will still possibly exist. You L- know. Listen, if you got fine. it, it's okay, but what about us poor people who can't? Right. And you what know? about doctors that maybe want to practice in the community where they came from? Maybe they come to New York mm-hmm. to to go to NYU, which is one of the best medical schools mm-hmm. in the country, right? Which fortunately, NYU has taken it upon themselves to remove physician tuition, right? For right, their, exactly. You know, but the nursing department still has tuition. Why? Because, you know... I don't know. You They're deal not with, physicians. You deal with the largest, loudest constituency first in order to try and put a Band-Aid on something. Okay. And every fix to healthcare over the over the years since the 1890s, you know, when the AMA really interfered with the development of a community-oriented care-prioritized system, mm-hmm. you know, everything that's happened since then has been a Band-Aid. You know, between the advent of private insurance, you know, the explosion of it during World War II, Uh, which was supposed to be because people couldn't raise the wages. Mm -hmm. There was a wage freeze. So how do you hire people? How do you convince them to take these dangerous jobs? You add other things, right? Right. Like health insurance, Mm -hmm. like dental, like vision. Mm -hmm. And since World War II, since they started giving that, you know, the bosses and the managers have been working to undermine union membership and take those benefits away. And all the while, you know, cost of living has gone up like 60 percent and wages have remained stagnant and the poor are getting poorer. Mm-hmm. And we're being told that, you know, if you're not rich, forget it. Yeah. Best it's, of luck. It's, I'm sorry. And and but and and again, and that's that has always been the rich will get richer. Mm-hmm. It's like, I've always said to myself, why does a CEO who makes, you know, half a million dollars on mm-hmm. a regular salary, why when Christmas bonus time comes up, why the fuck does he need $36 million? Mm-hmm. Why don't you divide that between your employees? There's a company that actually did that, that mm-hmm. gave whatever bonuses they got, they literally split it between the employees and gave really, I think it was like $18 million split between all of the employees. Right. Right. But again, you you work a Fortune 500, you're you're filthy, disgustingly stinking fucking rich. Right. And you need an adept, and you're looking forward to Christmas cuz you're getting another 36 million dollars. Right. Meanwhile, and screw your employees. Right. They don't need health care. And meanwhile, Let's cut like, it off. the doctors, because it's getting around the holidays, like the insurance companies, as you were saying, are slowing their slowing roll on down. those yeah, payments. Exactly. So, you know, uh, forget Christmas for the doctor's family, right? Yeah, or exactly. Or the, the employees of the doctor's family, you know. 
And and I it's funny because it's five years and I, at five years and it's the same question right around September, October, November. How come we're not getting that many checks? Mm-hmm. They're holding on to it. Wait till after December something and watch and boom, the money starts coming in trickling, but it starts coming in. God. So, you know, we've gotten to this point. What are your thoughts professionally? Are you pro Medicare for all? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that. After, after this a whole conversation, it would be funny if you were like, no, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Listen, everybody needs help. Everybody. Right. It doesn't matter who you are. And for the simple fact that the rich are basically calling the herd and let's screw the little people because you know what? We don't like them. Mm-hmm. We want this to be a different world. And if we let them die, then we don't have to pay for anything. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the bottom line. Yeah. It's, you know, we need to fundamentally reorganize our our value system here. There's no, there's nothing else that we can do. There's no temporary quick fixes. There's no Medicare for America or Medicare for all who want it Mm -hmm. that will give people like you the leverage that they, that you need. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. To, you know, force Medicare to get better. Right. Like exactly. Medicare for all is not Medicare as it is now expanded to every American. Mm-mm. Medicare for all is a, a huge expansion in the types of things that Medicare covers. Right. You know, everything from long term care to dental to uh, standardizing payer rates to to sort of make things like more equitable well, for it, rural practitioners, you know. Perfect example. My, I have a twin brother who's had multiple strokes and every time he goes into the rehab center, as soon as the benefits, as soon as Medicare says we're not paying anymore, they send him home. Mm-hmm. And so he's had another stroke mm-hmm. and they will keep him for the three months that the insurance company will pay. And then, okay, they're not paying anymore. Go home. Right. He's still not better. He's right. still paralyzed, but the insurance company won't pay. So get out. Right. And it's not like you guys can afford to pay out of pocket for in home long term care for him when he's sent home from acute or exactly. you know post acute rehab exactly like so you're what supposed to quit your job and take care of your bro- like brother full time or your mom is supposed to move to New York to take care you know your it's, mom is reti- retired <laughs> yeah mom's eighty six years old living a good life in Puerto Rico she doesn't want to come back to New York right she says the people in New York are not nice. <laughs> We're not, but that's okay. <laughs> well, she's, you know, she's had some experiences where like even at the the rehab facility where he was at, it was just people were just, you know, let's get him out of here. Right. Why? Because the insurance company's not paying, but he's not better. I don't care. Get him out. Right. Because we can't afford to keep the lights on if we do this type of charity. Exactly. Yeah. We, I, I think a lot of people have these issues with the healthcare system not caring and that stuff like... I wish more people realized that that stuff is so clearly a direct result of the environment that people are, that that healthcare is put into by private insurance. Yeah. You know, you could like point the finger at hospitals charging too much. Mm-hmm. Sure. Point the finger at uh, pharma costs being too high. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Objectively true. Right. NYU neurology has 70 inch televisions. I was in there for six days. I couldn't sit up, mm-hmm. needed a blood patch, couldn't see, don't need a 70-inch television. television screen. Absolutely not. But what comes as a result is, you know, then the nurses' contracts are like, they're not 
getting a raise. They weren't getting a raise. They went on strike. Yeah, because the, they got a nice fancy little robot bringing you uh, your meals and pills. Yeah, and the orderly had fifteen minutes to change a room over. Oh, and the HVAC had put it had been put in wrong, so it was blowing dust into the room instead of sucking out the mm-hmm. dirt. Nice. Fif- fifteen minutes. I said, do you get an extra amount of time if the patient dies? And she said, no, but they let me come in while they're removing the body. Holy shit. They let me come yeah. in while they're removing the body. And I can get a head start. Oh. She came in. I was waiting for discharge. And she said, I'm leaving for a vacation. My first vacation in a year mm-hmm. or two years or something in an hour. Do you mind if I get started on your room early during my break? Oh, my God. And Yes. Because, because they are so greedy, people who work, doctors... Mm-hmm. receptionist we we get angry right and who suffers Patients. the patient yeah. ultimately whoever suffers it it doesn't matter how angry we all get it's always the patient who's going to suffer and it's not fair right and you shouldn't have to suffer too nor should doctors or nurses or orderlies and you know this whole system we have a lot of work to do and i think medicare for all is a very good step so. absolutely 100 percent agree thank you so much for coming today and thank talking you for to having me. me be um it has been such a pleasure to be able to platform your voice because you are one of rd and i's favorite people in the whole world oh my god thank you so much um and i obviously really appreciate all the help that you've uh you've personally done to keep me alive these Uh, past couple years. I owe you one. uh, Listen, I do whatever I can. (laughs) My father always said, be kind just to be kind. Yeah. Words to live by. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like a great note. We can sort of end it there on a positive. Yes. Be Be kind kind just just to be kind. Love it. Love you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, do you have uh, public social media you want people to follow if they want to like reach out to you maybe talk to Um, you or so like my best friend's nine-year-old daughter told me you're old you only have facebook (laughs) well maybe we'll have to make you a a twitter or something i you know i i don't know i think you could become you know a very attractive candidate for a national campaign surrogate for the you know that one guy who happens to be running on that you know that thing we've been talking about for a while medicare Mm -hmm. for all Mm -hmm. you know so we might have to make you a twitter so you can start yeah, well, yeah. I'm a I'm a partial Luddite, so you're gonna have to show me how that works. Oh, you would you would <laughs> love Twitter. Okay, it's made for your it's made for your takes for okay. sure. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, um, thank you so much for joining us. You're very and, welcome. And um, hopefully, we can uh, not see each other in the office until I'm supposed to be there in two weeks. Exactly. And I'll get through the steroid situation without a surprise visit. Yeah, you know, but, you're more um, than yeah, whenever you call, you come on in. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, All right. And that wraps another episode of Medicare for All Week. Thank you. Bye. Do your best to stay alive another week. Thank you for listening to Medicare for All Week from the Deaf Panel. Subscribe wherever podcasts are distributed to hear a brand new interview on single-payer health care every day until the 11th of February. And support us at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod for patron-only episodes, and to help us make series like Medicare for All Week possible. We are entirely listener-supported and extremely lacking in quality health care. Goodbye for now. Until next time. Patreon.com slash Death Panel Pod.